RPGbot.news. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And returning to us, we have special guest Jonathan Nielsen. Greetings, Homo sapiens with various amounts of Denisovan in Neanderthal. I think that describes me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jonathan yeah. Nielsen. Uh, I'm the owner and publisher of AEW Games, and I've been writing adventures. Well, most of my life, I started DMing when I was eight years old. So, um, yeah. A bit about me really quick is uh, I started AW Games about 12 years ago, launched it 10 years ago. Our most popular book is Rise of the Drow, but we've published over a thousand products. Yes, we're that crazy. So um, yeah, check us out at AEWGames.com. And we're really excited to join the podcast today to talk about our new Kickstarter Roltmark, which we'll get into a little bit later. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and we also have first-time guest, Tilo Graf. Thank you so much for having me around. Uh, I'm Tilo Graf. Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief for AW Games and also one of the developers and our authors. And um, my largest product release so far was probably the Survivor's Guide to Spelunking with Doug Niles and Stephen Yeardley. Uh, Immensely proud of that book, and um, yeah, I've also worked on Roadmark together with Jonathan. Awesome, awesome. So, Tyler, what's happening? Uh, well, we had uh, we invited Jonathan and Tilo on today to talk about Roadmark. Uh, we were very excited about Rise of the Drow, and we had Jonathan on the podcast previously to talk about that. So. Uh, they just launched the Kickstarter for Roltmark, and we wanted to get them on to talk about the new adventure and the Kickstarter and, you know, uh, get some sneak peeks and some details about the adventure. Awesome. Okay. But first, we have to ask a question we asked to everybody. So, Tilo, what is your background with tabletop RPGs? So, um, I was a pretty sickly child, and for a couple of years, I, um, you know, had the, the unfortunate... Um, a situation that I couldn't get up from bed, and so socialization was difficult for me as a kid, and role-playing games remedied that. And uh, I started playing with AD&D First Edition, the German iteration, obviously, and then uh, proceeded from there, and still love AD&D, obviously. Um, then became kind of a freelance role-playing game reviewer, uh, insideguys.com. I've reviewed over 5,000 role-playing game products for different companies, and I've been freelancing as an author and developer for quite a while for a ton of different companies, and at one point I joined AW Games permanently, and here we are! <laughs> <laughs> cool. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah, uh, root work. Yeah, so let's talk about Rootmark. So, Jonathan, when we had you on previously, you gave us a little bit of a hint about this, and you told us that it's themed around duality and the concept of creatures moving from uh, stasis state to flow state. So um, explain that premise for the adventure. Like, how does that tie into the larger adventure as a whole? Yeah, it's actually, um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's uh, state, yeah, stagnation. They, the creatures can change from stagnation mode to flow mode, and that's one aspect of of kind of a grander overarching theme for the book, which is uh, which is duality. 
And that comes in many forms in Rotemark. Uh, it comes with uh, past and present because we're dealing with a lot of things that happened in the past. And without giving too many spoilers, uh, I can at least say that there is a section where the players will experience the past. So they both get to experience the, 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 both the past and the present. Um, there's also above and below. And uh, there's also basically light and dark, uh, flow and stagnation. And the flow and stagnation is essentially flow, picture it as pure water, elementals, things like that. Stagnation are things that have sat and stagnated and, and um, basically been infused with this form of stagnation. And again, we, we don't want to give any spoilers as to like the main enemy in this or anything like that, because that's <laughs> part of the whole fun of the adventure. Um, but let's, let's just say that the, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pass it to Tilo here. Cause I think Tilo has some, has some good information to share as well. Um, <laughs> I, I just wanted to add that, uh, the, this duality aspect that Jonathan was explaining is also part of the internal concepts. So, um, while obviously many people would prefer flow over stagnation, Flow can also destroy you. It can sweep you off your feet. It can catapult you into pits and stuff like that. And similarly, a stagnation might actually be conductive to forms of life. Just not forms of life you'd usually associate with pleasant experiences, you know? So, so there is also this internal duality within each of the concepts that we're featuring in Roadmark. Awesome, awesome. With, with this description of duality, like, you know, being able to see the past and the present, uh, the idea is that there's the above and the below, but that these things are connected, stagnation versus flow. Um, I want to ask, and I hope this isn't a spoiler, it, it feels like there, there's opportunity for some amount of puzzle or some amount of impact that like changing mm -hmm. one aspect of one thing is then going to change something on, on the flip side. Uh, is, is that a big part of the game? Yeah, there's actually um, one of the things is that this is based in a region of the world that is uh, kind of called the Chonian re region, Chonia. And it's um, Lake Chonia has been drying up for a long time. And the area, the areas become very arid and stale and dry and water is necessary for life here. Um, what the player characters do uh, definitely impacts the environment, and not just the environment, uh, you know, the, the larger environment, but also the microenvironment. Um, so the small things that they do do have impacts on the adventure. And not only that, there are lots of riddles and puzzles because this area long ago was Grecia. Grecia was a semi-advanced advanced civilization that utilized magic and um, they went so far as to kind of dabble a little bit in the realms of the gods and because of that uh, Grecia or Grecian the language of, of Grecian was kind of lost to the times there's basically a divine decree that that Grecian cannot be basically you can't the, the game mechanic, at least, is that you can't just walk up to Grecian and cast Comprehend Languages or some other similar spell and, try, and figure it out. You actually need to spend some time decoding it. And so um, in different playtests, people handled this in a lot of different ways, which is really fun. Um, some people created their own ciphers. Other people uh, found in the game there's ways to get uh, magic items or there's text in the game that is in Grecian that you can figure out, oh, wait, this is a prayer to the, to the water goddess Vasi. Well, what if we go find this version in common? Maybe we can, you know, we can create a, a, a cipher doing that. So 
Um, once you're able to figure out how to read Grecian, all of a sudden you're doing kind of this wasteland archaeology where you're digging around for clues, you're finding words, you're deciphering them. And when you start to decipher them, you find out that the Grecians loved riddles. And so if, uh, if you can figure out the answers to some of these riddles, you can unlock different things, different parts of the dungeon or access to different areas or perhaps find some really key magic items. Okay, that's, that's, that sounds pretty awesome. If I may interject, there is one more thing uh, that I'd like to add to this, namely that this also extends to how uh, Grecia dealt with their own wonders, because this is kind of a minor spoiler for Oldmark, but <laughs> there is one area pretty large one at that that is essentially what in our world would be one of the wonders of the world so it's a gigantic uh, combination of superb engineering and magics and uh, it's kind of a gigantic environmental puzzle to explore that the players solve by paying attention by uh, taking a look at the humongous amount of handouts that we have and you know thinking about the environments they are actually exploring so uh, of all the components of roadmark that jonathan devised that that particular aspect is by far my favorite I guess the way that you describe the world, it feels like it's going to be fairly open. I'll be able to walk around. I'll be able to, you know, I might encounter something and say, okay, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm going to go somewhere else. Is that about right? Yeah. The interesting thing about Rotemark is from the video, and I should, I should probably, it's hard because filming a video for a Kickstarter, you can give like one perspective really, you know, <clears throat> but I, I wish that I could give multiple perspectives. Which perspective would you like to see, you know, um, because we're only giving a little glimpse into things and yeah, you there are specific locations that are within the adventure, just like any adventure. The way in which you deal with them or the order in which you deal with them is completely up to the group. It's complete, the, the, way, <clears throat> the way in which you deal with them is completely up to the group. And so during playtests, uh, people dealt with different situations in different orders. They came to different outcomes. Uh, it's really, really interesting how people deal with things. And there can be a number of outcomes based on the action. So... Well, it may look like at times, like when, you know, when you see an adventure from the outside, you may think, oh, well, this is kind of a railroad because there's these certain set events or these certain set locations. Yes, there's set locations, but the order in which you deal with them and the way in which you deal with them completely change the outcomes and not just the final outcome, but the outcomes along the way and what may unfold. So it's very interactive. Um, the, the players, the player characters are able to interact with the environment, with the creatures, with the dungeon. Uh, through a number of ways, uh, we have something called flow tokens. And so when they find these little tokens, in my mind, I kind of picture them like, I don't know if anyone played Chrono Trigger, but I would love how in Chrono Trigger, they'd be these little glowing stones that you'd find every once in a while. And I thought, you know, what a fun way to incorporate the flow and stagnation mechanic is to have a way to find these little, you know, one-use magic items. And so flow and stagnation are also contained within these little tokens, flow and stagnation tokens. And those also come with the box set. So when someone, when a when a character finds one, you say, "Oh, you found a stagnation token." You actually give them a little green glass bead that's representative of that stagnation token. When they decide to use it, they can put it out where they'd like to use it, like on the battlefield or whatnot, um, on the on the actual moving battle maps, which I should mention, moving battle maps by Dynamic Dungeons. Um, and so when they use that, they could throw it out, and it has a number of different effects, uh, depending on if it's, if it's a flow token or a stagnation token. And they can actually affect things in the dungeon, whether it's affecting a trap, affecting a creature, 
or some other aspect of the dungeon as well. So I'm hearing a lot of I'm hearing a lot of really cool things. And we're going to come back to that box set in a second. I want to dig into that. Sure. Um, so in the adventure itself, I'm hearing it's it's kind of sandboxy in that the players can choose the order in which they approach things. Um, there's some it sounds like there's some cool dungeon delving, some some archaeology type stuff, like riddles, puzzles like the this sounds like a cool explorative adventure the like stagnation and fl- uh stagnation and flow mechanic plays into that a lot and then like you said flipping that mechanic is going to be is going to be a big part of the adventure um there's a lot going on and i'm very excited about all of it that also is a murder mystery just Ooh. saying <laughs> <laughs> all right We're, just keep adding stuff great not um, one of the player characters though right <laughs> um, <laughs> We can't say a whole lot about that. There's, there, let's just say there's spoilers involved with that aspect of it. But that's fair. Your your group will enjoy it. Um, the the play tests. It's actually interesting with the play tests. Sometimes we would play test. You know, certain things we play tested through, and with some hiccups and kind of like, eh, that that didn't work out so well. And we we kept tweaking and revising things. In fact, Roltmork was fully rewritten three times to refine oh, wow. it into the adventure that it is now. Um, we spent a lot of time. Our, our main goal these days is, well, a couple of things. Color outside the lines. Um, that's kind of our motto with the AEW games. And then uh, quality over quantity. <clears throat> when we started out, we were all about quantity. You know, let's push out a huge adventure every week and all this. Now we're taking time with things. This adventure has been in the works for three years. So we're taking extra time to refine it. But yeah, in the in the play tests, there were some certain aspects that have to do. All I can give away is that it has to do with that past-present mechanic. And so we really have refined things with that. And yeah, there is a murder mystery, but that's all we can say about it. <laughs> okay, that, that's pretty awesome. All right, I think folks at home, if, if you're a DM sitting at home listening to this, if you're a player sitting at home listening to this, I feel like you have to be excited kind of hearing everything that's going to be contained within this adventure. Uh, let's talk a, about a little bit of the specs here. So what level do you expect a, a character or a set of characters to start at? What level do you expect them to get through by the end of the adventure? I'll let, I'll let Tila take this one if you're up for it, Tila. <laughs> Okay, so um, the first thing you should know about Roadmark is that, obviously, like most adventures, it's for uh, four to six characters. But how hard it turns out to be and for what level range actually is a little bit more fluid than for most adventures. Um, We've designated it as uh, levels five to seven. But uh, since we've added hardcore mode options to make the adventure more difficult, um, it could be a challenge for characters of a significantly higher level. And there is another factor that really um, changes how difficult Roadmark is going to be for different groups. And that factor is tied in with the design paradigms that we had for it. Namely, that we wanted the adventure to emphasize player skill over character skill. I mean, you've probably all played in adventures uh, where, you know, you have those invisible lines and once you cross them, you take damage and uh, you can solve a problem by thinking about it. You have to roll this and that high so your character knows, oh, yeah, uh, I know the arcade name of XYZ. We don't have stuff like that in Roadmark. Uh, What we have here is an adventure that rewards players for paying attention 
for thinking through the adventure, uh, the traps, uh, how defenses might work and stuff like that. And yes, they are bound to run into, uh, for example, exceedingly deadly traps. But all of those traps and obstacles follow an internal logic. And this internal logic, and whether you um, get it or don't get it, determines to a significant part uh, how difficult the adventure is going to be. That being said, even for veteran players, it can be a tough cookie, but it doesn't have to be that tough. Um, but yeah, so so difficult, long-winded answer for for a short and seemingly simple question, but I hope you um, agree that it deserves a little bit more uh, complex uh, response in this instance. I think that's reasonable, and I, I really appreciate the fact, like, how much playtesting it sounds like you've emphasized. I, I guess as you've looked at folks playtesting through the adventure, what are the range of times you would expect people to to spend playing through the entire adventure? That entirely depends on the amount of time that your group typically games. Uh, I mean, let's say you're gaming once, what's the average session? Like, once a week for what, four hours, six hours? Something like that, four to Something six. Something like that. I would say if it's once a week for you know four to six hours, I would say it would possibly be what were the average playtest, Tilly? It was, it was about two. Was it about two months? Seems um, like yeah, if, if it was every week, three. Um, three. But but then again, uh, we pushed through the playtests and we, we 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 hurried the player characters through. So, um, from from my non-official playtest experience of scavenging components of Worldmark for my own home games and stuff like that, um, I'd wager that you can, if you take it slow, if you really immerse uh, yourself into everything, if you role play a lot, you could spend up to six months. Uh, with with world mark if you power through it uh, I, the fastest i can uh, see work out is like probably 2.5 months yeah yeah i would say if you if for for the group there was one group <clears throat> that were veterans um both both uh, in game and out of game <laughs> and not only that but these guys had been playing together since they were 10 years old and so everybody and and not only that they, they let's see they're in their 50s so these guys um they all knew how to work together and they all knew how to overcome uh, different solutions. And they came up with some crazy stuff. Like uh, the ability to, like we said before, there's a couple different ways you can approach it. Like one of those is above or below, like at the very start of the adventure. Well, where would you like to go? There's this giant monolithic spire of rock. Do you want to go investigate the bottom or do you want to go all the way up to that cool looking bridge up there up, to up top? That's this ancient bridge that goes over to these ruins. So it's like, there's two different approaches, right? These guys completely threw us off, and they just went at it from a completely different angle, utilized some different spells that they had available, and were able to access areas that no one else was way before they were technically supposed to. And they, uh, they reverse-engineered some stuff. They created their own ciphers. They blew me away. They in the, I think in the second game... They were where all the other groups were in like their sixth to eighth game. Like it was just crazy. So it it really depends on the group, um, and that's an extremely rare circumstance that that would happen. But that one was one that came to mind for me. I was really impressed. I'm like, wow, this group's got to be very challenging to GM because they know <laughs> they know how to work together so well that it's just unreal. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm thinking about tabletop speedrunners. I feel like I haven't seen this class of YouTube yet, but maybe it's coming. Hey, that's a great, that is actually a really great idea to have a channel that's all about speedruns at, at role-playing games. I'd like to see that in one of those, uh, what was that adventure where, where you constantly are dying? There's a couple of those. What's that? Yeah, Tomb of Horrors uh, for mm-hmm. D&D official, and then uh, what was it, Rappin' Athuk for the uh, third-party stuff. Yeah. Speedruns at those games that people actually survive would be just rad to listen to. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I want to be fast. Like, okay, I'm going in the first room. I'm going to go pull this lever, and then I'm going over here, and then I'm going to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we're, uh, we're friends with the guys from Frog God, and uh, they they put a copy of Rappin' Athuk in my hand. It's like a 700-page book. Like, yeah. <laughs> that would be like a, a year-long speed run. That would be a little nuts. <laughs> That's true. It would take a while, right? That you is have to tell everybody call. there's no tabletop banter allowed tonight, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. You die in the first two hours anyway. It's right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So uh, I go for it, pull the lever. You're dead. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's, it sounds like... Show tonight, folks. <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like Rootmark starts uh, ranges five to seven, um, and mm-hmm. you mentioned like you can adjust that for difficulty. You all, Tilo, you also mentioned a hardcore mode. Can you explain what that is? So um, I tend to be a challenging GM, um, a very challenging GM, and um, usually uh, my adventures, if I you know, buy a commercial adventure, I end up having to rewrite half of the adventure because otherwise my players would become bored or considered too easy <laughs> and stuff like that. I have to make the story more complex and things like that. And at one point, I started devising hardcore mode options that, you know, just take this one trap and add this this smidgen of sadistic maliciousness to it that that adds insult to injury that makes a challenging encounter really hardcore and really deadly and i know that not every group enjoys that there are some groups that do not like it when their characters die and things like that more power to you but for uh, you don't have to use those hardcore mode options roadmark is challenging but without those I i think it's pretty fair but we have those options for the gm where you can just say okay now I'm going to make Roadmark a hellish nightmare escape where um, you are going to die in various interesting ways. And hardcore mode is also a kind of self-scaling mechanic for the GM because we we frame those options in a way that that you spontaneously just take them and insert them into the game as it progresses. So, for example, if you're players have this this particular special day of the of the year where they keep rolling 20 20 19 18 20, <laughs> 19 18 19 18 and so on max damage um if, if they if, uh, if the dice are on fire um uh, you just take a look at it and oh yeah come on that, that combat encounter was too easy hardcore mode it up and then <laughs> you know, uh, upgrade for example a significant a fight against a significant enemy force to a friggin' horde um hmm. lots of those things essentially i i like that I, I believe what i heard you say is sometimes you take the murder trap and you add extra murder Uh, and and that extra murder has a special sprinkling of sadistic glee and (laughs) oh my god this place wants us dead 
This is true. <laughs> very true. Uh, like Don't that. blame me. It's 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 you know it's just it's 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 all Tilo's fault. But you know, <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's also it's just channeling your uh, your inner that that DM that does want to torture your players. Um, you know, everyone's had that DM that challenges you more than any other DM, right? So it's kind of <laughs> kind of kind of a way for those DMs that are a little softer to to tap into that more sadistic side, right? I, I love the idea at the beginning of a session, like getting out a, a D twenty and just rolling it in front of the players and saying, "Looks like it's hardcore mode tonight." Sorry, folks. <laughs> Let's go. Who <laughs> uh, have the players roll it? That's their own fault. No, the hundred percent perfect record <laughs> rules. Um, I. I want to come back and visit something. So we've alluded to it. There's a lot happening here um, for a DM or GM trying to put the adventure together. But it sounds like as part of this box set, you've actually put together a lot of the tools that your GM is going to need to run the game efficiently and put a, provide a great experience for the players. Yes, not only that, but I, I should also point out that in layout, Tila was kind enough to go through the entire adventure and create at-a-glance sections. So a lot of times you find yourself digging for information in books. And I should point out, obviously, that we're DMs and players ourselves. And like I said, I've been DMing since I was eight years old. So whenever we put together a book, we like to put it together in a way that we would enjoy the book. And burying information in the text is never fun for anyone, especially when you need to find some specific information, whether it's a page number, a stat block, uh, information about a trap, et cetera, et cetera. So we have these at-a-glance sections throughout the books throughout the book that each section, each part of the dungeon, each location has one of these sections where you can go and you can scan and it has all of the relevant, you know, NPCs, all of the relevant uh, traps, uh, the basic DCs for them uh, in a truncated form so that you can quickly and easily find those within these little um, sidebars. Uh, but yeah, that said, uh, the box set version of Roltmark is the complete box set, for everything you need to play aside from the moving battle maps, which are digital format. Uh, what we encourage people to do is, Take a flat panel TV, which are getting pretty cheap these days, especially if you get a new one and your old one's kind of, eh, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to replace this and throw that one on the table. You, you, yeah, you can you can toss it on the table and uh, plug in your computer or tablet, or if you've got a newer TV, you can stream right to it. You throw a dynamic dungeon map on there and loop it, hit play. It's got sound effects. It's got the lighting. Everything's moving. There's strange, you know, mists going across the screen, flickering torches, all the good stuff that you need. You can drop miniatures right onto the uh, TV itself or buy plexiglass at the hardware store. That's what I did. Custom size it. Uh, toss it on there so that you can also throw dice and stuff without damaging the TV. And uh, and just put your minis right on there. And what we've got in the box set is we've got the main Roltmark adventure. We've got a set of pawns. And the cool thing about the pawns and the reason we went with pawns as opposed to something like miniatures, miniatures obviously would bump the price way up and be a lot more, more add a lot of complexity to it. Um especially for the reason we went with pawns was flow and stagnation. We wanted to be able to have, here's the colored version of this creature. It's green. And then if it changes to flow mode or the players do, you know, the player characters do something that changes it to flow mode. Now it's blue. So you can quickly as a DM have like the flow mode versions behind the DM screen. You have some stagnation versions, which are kind of the ones they first encounter the enemies moving around the battlefield. If the, if the uh, characters do something to affect one of those, you just pick it up and drop down the blue one. Now it's in flow mode. And that changes, and the stat blocks are written as such. They're uh, green if they're in... uh, There's green stat block, sections of the stat block in green. There's sections of the stat block in blue. That's stagnation and flow. And then the black text applies to both versions of the creature. So not every creature in the book, but a whole bunch of the creatures in the book have both these flow and stagnation modes, which change what they do accordingly. Um, So yeah, so we've got the, the main book. We've got the pawns. 
we've got um, two bags. Uh, one is green, one's blue. The green bag has your stagnation tokens, has 11 stagnation tokens, and it has a full set of dice in stagnate. And these are stagnation dice. So um, you're talking uh, 2d20s, 46, and you know, and the rest of the dice. And we've got that for both um, stagnation, and then we also have that for flow as well. So we've got the uh, blue bag that has the blue uh, flow tokens, 11 of those, and then a full set of the blue dice as well. Um, we also have player handouts, and the player handouts are absolutely key to this adventure because there's a lot of different locations you're going to visit. You're going to want to <clears throat> give them. You're going to want to give them the visual information without just handing them the information. So, for example, uh, in one scene, they're going to they're going to encounter a mural. Well, that mural is going to be on one of these player handouts, and you can hand that to them. The players can look and try to figure out, well, what is this, what's in this mural? Is there anything that's, that's pertinent to us? Is there anything that, that we can see around in, the, in, this, in this dungeon or in this, this area that we're exploring in these ruins? Is there, you know, they can find their own clues. Um, and what's cool about the adventure, too, is it's not required. Like, you don't have to solve all these different things, but they will help you better deal with the adversaries and with the environment if you know what to look for. Um, but having these player handouts is, 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 is going to be a fantastic aid, especially because there's going to be things to decipher and what have you. So you can hand something to the players. Uh, and, and what, what I encourage too, is like at the table, when people go, let's say they're going to go decipher something, there might be one person at the table. that's like, Oh, I totally want to do this. And everyone else says, nah, you can have it. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Or a couple of people want to do it. Well, they can work on it and everyone else can kind of take a break for a little bit. Or um, you can come at it from different angles. You could have someone, maybe they just decipher the first couple of these things in Grecian. And then after that, they just make a roll or they or the DM just lets them bypass it since they know, well, you're going to decipher it eventually. So and and T and Tilo has some more on this. But yeah, the box set has all of that good stuff. This one, the, the box set, the hardcover is the standard edition. Uh, the standard edition is by no means standard. The artwork is by Kim Van Duen, who also does a lot of um, has done a lot of official DD artwork. The cover art with the with the lich and the stagnant dead on it is absolutely beautiful. I'm so happy with it. Um, that one comes in the box set. The limited edition cover, which we can talk about later, is a separate purchase, and there's a reason why. The box set, a lot of people have asked about this, but the box set has to kind of come standard because there's only 500 copies of this limited edition. We can't be swapping them out box set to box set. It's just way too com- complex of a process, process, and the printer doesn't do that. So, um, <laughs> so those have to be sold separately, but our books do typically go for market or value, MSRP or higher on like RPG auctions on Facebook and things like that. So if you do buy both copies, you could always resell the standard and keep the limited edition, but that's most of the information about the box set, uh, but I will pass it on to Tilo as he has some more information. Um, the thing I wanted to add, because we were talking a lot about the Grecian glyphs and runes and stuff like that and the deciphering process, if you're sitting out there uh, in front of your screen or listening to it on your mobile devices or stuff like that and think, oh man, deciphering stuff sounds really boring, it's not for everyone, but that's why there are options where you, if you pay attention, you can find options to deal with this adventure and experience it without having to decipher any of those runes. That's also one of the options there. So we don't want you to uh, need to do this, but uh, some groups absolutely enjoy it and love it. I know mine actually loved it as a total change of pace because it's not done often. Um, but yeah, if that's not for you, no problem. You'll still have fun with World Morg. That was my little interjection. Yeah, I should also uh, that that brought to, to something to my uh, up in my memory, and that is that 
the first time Tilo that I ever met Tilo in person, because we'd been friends for a long time online, but the first time I ever met him in person was at Gen Con, uh, the first time we were at Gen Con. And the, the short version is seeing the joy in Tilo's face when he found out that they had real Dr. Pepper. Um, <laughs> and that not only that, but that morning that he had his giant coffee in one hand and the, the person behind the counter was, couldn't believe how excited he was that they actually had real Dr. Pepper. They gave him a free Dr. Pepper. So he had a giant Dr. Pepper and a giant thing of coffee. And it was the first day of Gen Con. And he, I took a picture of him, and he's just got this look on his face like, I'm ready to conquer the world. And I absolutely love that about Tilo. He gets so excited about things he loves. <laughs> the second time I met Tilo in person, he actually came out to do a road trip here on the West Coast. And I live out in Snoqualmie. So Tilo came to visit us, and it just so happened that it was my game night. It also just so happened that the adventurers were ju- just entering Roltmork for the very first time in my own group back when I was just testing this out. And we were just we were just playing. A lot of times I'll play through a bunch of adventures I've written. And when the players all tell me by the, at the end of adventure that it was one of the best effing adventures they've ever played and that the final battle was the coolest battle that they can remember ever having in any game they've ever played. And these guys are all like 50-something. I was like, okay. I think this is one that I need to uh, need to need to work on some more. So that so, but what's crazy is Teal happened to be there that night. So he actually rolled up a character, ended up joining the group for that initial encounter in the very first room when they finally, after they bypassed a bunch of other stuff and finally entered the dungeon of Roltmark for the first time and set foot and were the first ones to tread down these steps and you know actually leave their footprints in the dust. Teal also treaded down those steps. And it wasn't soon after that that Teal was working for AEW Games with me and helping me rewrite and get Roltmark off the ground. So I just have to put that out there as kind of serendipitous. Did you kill his character? Teal, did you die? <laughs> I think you lived. I think I still have your character sheet um, uh, in, yes. in my box. I, 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 I barely because I, play, I played this, uh, this, you know, uh, cowardly rogue who uh, managed to trigger <laughs> one of the traps, uh, bypa- bypass the horrible threat, and then just hunker down uh, next to the next horrible <laughs> trap and uh, tried dealing with it while the rest of the group was being slaughtered. And I was like, yeah, oh. no, not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> you were Bayvonian, if I remember correctly. So, yes. in a particular region of the world, and you can find more out about that on our website. Um, the, the Bayvonians are not. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. You can you can check. It out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. So, all right. I'm sold. I want to get my hands on Rortmort. What do I do next? Yeah, you can go on Kickstarter, or actually, the easy way to get there is aawgames.com/slash/rortmort, and Rortmort is spelled. Um, R-U-L-T-M-O-O-R-K, Roltmork. Um, so yeah, you could just go to awgames.com slash Roltmork or go on Kickstarter and just search for Roltmork and, um, and back us on Kickstarter. We've got um, the PDF, I believe is 29. Uh, the hardcover book is 44. And then the uh, limited edition is 79. And the full box set with all the goodies, two sets of extended dice, all that is uh, 129. And uh, we, oh, we've also got virtual tabletop versions, too. So Roll20, Foundry, and Fancy Grounds, those are 39 each. Awesome. Okay. And we will have links in the show notes. So, you know, folks, you're listening to this, you're thinking, okay, I want to go click that. Hey, go click that. Also, 3.5 hours of soundtrack. Just saying. Yes. That's a Thanks. good thing to bring up. Um, we work with Sonar Village out of, uh, out of Italy. And uh, if you're familiar with Rise of the Drow or Survival of the Splunking, well, actually, if you're familiar with those and you haven't picked up the soundtracks, you should definitely get the soundtracks. They're absolutely beautiful. Um, we worked with them, and 
this time I kind of blew their minds a little bit because they'd never done this before. Because usually, you know, you write a song and it's like three to five minutes. And I said, I would like to do every location in flow mode and stagnation mode, basically a, a, a musical, right, an auditory and, um, you know, a, a version with ambiance that is appropriate for a flow and for a stagnation in each location. And not only that, but 10 minutes each. So that's how we ended up with the three and a half hours of tracks, which actually work out really well and were used at play, during play tests and people really enjoyed them. Um, they really set the scene, especially when you, you're in a room, you turn down the lights or turn on your light effects or whatever, your LED, strip lighting, whatever you have. Turn down the lights, get the appropriate mood, maybe in a stagnation environment, you're in a stagnated water clock, you know, in that room, and you've got green all around you. And then you turn on the stagnation version of the water clock, and there's these strange, you know, sounds in the background, and the music starts to play, and the miniatures are out, and they're moving around the map to explore this this area. And it's, um, there's something really, uh, really immersive about that, especially when, you know, oh, we're going to go look at this mural, and now you're handing out the artwork, you know, for them to look at. It's like, it's, it's a full immersive experience. So that's kind of what we were going for is, is how can we further immerse you in the game? So, cause there, there is something really nice about leaving the real world behind, forgetting about your day job, your relationships, everything else going on, just becoming your character for a night and just kind of escaping reality to go on an adventure. And that's what we want you to feel with Rollmark. That is awesome. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Tyler, you ready? Very. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So I have to ask the question. Uh, this isn't the only thing AW Games is working on. Uh, so what else is coming next? Well, we could, um, you know, I think the first time we ever dropped uh, dropped any information about Roltmork was on your show. Um, so let's keep that tradition going. And Tilo, would you like to tell them about the secret project you've been working on? Well, if you want me to, of course. Um, so... I don't know if you uh, fine fellows uh, know about a certain uh, book uh, that's pretty popular that we made, uh, Rise of the Drow. Um, well, at one point, some adventurers came down to Holoth and they beat the first house of the Drow and uh, essentially upped the overall balance of power in the underworld. Those intrepid adventurers lived through this epic campaign called Rise of the Drow. Well, it's time to flip the script. What happened to those drow that were vanquished? What happened when all of those other races from the underworld, under the aegis of adventurers, under the, po the power of the dwarves, the Vestradi and others combined, to forge an alliance, a coalition, and walk against Holoth, go to war. What happened then? Well, we'll take a look in Rise of the Drow after the fall, where you take control over Drow and claw your way back to dominance as it should be. Okay, that sounds cool. <laughs> all right i'm excited and what's interesting about that one too is that um in a lot of games you know you're rolling up your race your class etc well you're you might think oh well i don't get to choose my race i'm automatically a drow uh well yes that's true but the drow have distinct houses so the drow are, are each drow each drow house has specific abilities specific um quests and things like that that the other drow houses don't have and so 
you can choose like kind of your thematic for your character. You choose, you're going to be a drow. You choose which drow house you're affiliated with, and then you choose your character class. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think that's a great structure. Awesome. We're just going to keep changing it up on people. We're going to we're going to keep confusing <laughs> everybody and throwing out weird stuff like this. So <laughs> that's good. Like you said, color outside the lines, right? Exactly. That's the goal. Have awesome. fun with it. The artwork on that one too. I have to I have to tell you is the best artwork that we have ever had in any of our books yep. as it's been as as teela's been working behind the scenes on it and, the, and with the artists oh my god it is <laughs> gonna be gorgeous that book is gonna be absolutely beautiful i can't wait to see the final version when we get it uh, when we get to get it to kickstarter and get it printed and everything so that'll be a kickstarter coming up hopefully um late this year probably more like early 2023 is my guess so awesome okay and then actually let's go uh, let's go back to Rootmort. when does the kickstarter close for this yeah so the kickstarter closes at the near the end of september i think it's like the 20 i think it's the 28th uh, or okay. 29th 29th of september and okay, so- uh, yeah go ahead no so if you're listening to this before september 29th 2022 uh go back to kickstarter if you're listening to it after this uh, go buy the book. Go buy the box set. Yeah, also, there will also be a, a, a pre-order. When the Kickstarter ends, you won't necessarily be able to get all of the same stuff that comes in the Kickstarter, but you can still get like the basic book and some of the other things. Um, and it all depends, too, on what we sell out of. Uh, but there will also be a pre-order on Backer Kit. So you can always find the Kickstarter page and click the little link to uh, if you still want to get the book after after this, uh, you know, if, you've hear, if you're hearing this podcast at a later time. Awesome. All right. Well, Jonathan, Tilo, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. Absolutely it's been amazing. Uh, where can we find you guys on socials and stuff? Yeah. Um, the best place, honestly, these days, Discord is kind of the place to go. Uh, I, I love Discord. I think it's so much easier than the having all these other social media accounts or dealing with lengthy emails and things like that. It's just Discord. You can hop on and communicate. Super easy. Um, so I recommend going on our Discord, which the easy way to get there is bit.ly slash AEWGames um, should take you straight to it. gives you an invite to our um, AEW Games Discord. And um, just say hello on there. Um, introduce yourself. We have an awesome crew of people on there. I think there's a little bit over 2,000 of us on there now um, that are all big uh, RPG fans and people that love AEW Games. And um, even a lot of people that are active in the community. So it's a good place to get involved. And um, and find like minds, and even find some games to play on. All right, and Tilo, can we find you anywhere on socials? Um, so so um, I'm usually on AW Games Discord server. Uh, name there is Endzeitgeist. Um, I also have uh, my old reviews homepage, Endzeitgeist.com, um, but I'm not posting uh, too much. Right now, um, I, t- I also have a Facebook account, but I haven't logged in in like half a year or something like that because social <laughs> media stresses me out and just makes me depressed. And uh, yeah, so, um, so honestly, it, that feels really healthy to me personally, but yeah, yeah. Um, so, so essentially, I try to steer, steer clear of uh, Facebook and Twitter in particular. Um, my mental health has improved so much since I quit Twitter. Um, perfect. So, uh, yeah, um, n- not that well integrated uh, in social media, alas. But yeah, I'm kind of heading that way as well. If you, if you find me on social media, I'll be sharing positive things and not engaging with anyone that's being negative. So 
Um, life is too short to dwell in negativity, especially after being in lockdown for so many years. <laughs> it's time It's time to live life and be happy. Yeah. Let's do the things we love and encourage others to do the same and be inclusive of everybody. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, folks. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. All right, we did it. We did a pod.